Uh, let's pray and ask that God would help us this morning, uh, not just to hear this word, but to be changed by it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you've preserved these words of Jesus uh, over the last 2,000 years. We thank you that they can be read in a language that we understand. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you take these words, impact us, challenge and change us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off by asking you this morning, uh, what are your biggest concerns? What are your biggest concerns? At some level, it's a little bit unfair of me uh, to do this as we come to the sermon, uh, because if I say this, now all of a sudden, you're thinking about your biggest concerns. At the same level, I actually think it's entirely likely that as we start the sermon, they could already be crowding in on you anyway, so let's talk about them, since they might be floating around in your head. What are some of the things that might be our big concerns? Uh, Some of you might be thinking, I just can't wait for my next holiday. I just need to get away. That's not a huge concern, but it might occupy a lot of your brain space. Some of you will be thinking about your family. Now, that's a double-edged one for me. That's my family. And it's also on the plot of ground where the church building is going to be built. So that's one of my concerns floating around in my head and my family. So uh, family can be a concern. Uh, Some of you might be thinking, what is happening to Australia at the moment? Uh, At some of you work in Qantas, Janine, Uh, and you might be thinking, what's happening? Uh, What's happening to our country? What's happening to business in Australia? Uh, Some of you might be thinking, uh, I'm building at the moment. Uh, I really would like to see the roof on or the walls finished or could they get on with the tiling or whatever it is. Uh, And we've got those house things uh, running through our heads. Uh, Some of us might be thinking, as Matt just prayed uh, really helpfully, uh, might be thinking about uh, refugees. Uh, Some of us might be thinking about our kids' education, uh, how we're going to see our kids through school or, or how they're doing in school at the moment. Some of us might be deeply concerned about the environment and thinking, you know, uh, we're trashing our planet. Uh, my kids are ha- going to have to grow up here. What, what are they going to inherit? Uh, some of us might be thinking about work. Uh, that's a very odd symbol for work. I, I was trying to think, what's a generic thing for work? And I've come up with something that represents no one's work, so that's good. Uh, some of you might be thinking about work. You're thinking, hey, I've got all these pressures at work. Some of you on a Sunday morning like this might just be thinking generically about money. Uh, we need to pay our mortgage, or I've got these bills sitting, I I literally do have bills sitting on my computer when I go home to pay uh, at the moment. Uh, You might be thinking about money. You might be thinking about your health. Uh, There might be something about your health that's just playing on your mind uh, at the moment. And uh, if you have a free moment, that's where your mind turns to your health. Some of you might be thinking about your figure and your fitness, and you're thinking, I need to look svelte and fit and strong or something like that. You might be thinking about that. Or you might be thinking uh, about your neighbours, wondering what they're doing, wishing that their dog would stop barking or whatever it is. They occupy your brain. There are all sorts of things that can be our concerns in our world here. We're going to think about those concerns, but I want to take you back to the world that this verse, verses that we read this morning are set in. What were their biggest concerns? What were the biggest concerns of people who were Jewish people living in the first century? What were their concerns? I think their biggest concern overall, if they were Jewish, was for the kingdom of God. 
they wanted to see God's kingdom come. Now, when we hear that, we might think all sorts of things. Here's what it meant for them to have the kingdom of God come. These three things. They were living in a land that God had given them, and yet they had occupying troops around. What they were, Roman troops. What they were hanging out for is, give us a king. We want our own king back. One who's Jewish. One who's after God's agenda. Give us a king. Uh, the second one's a picture of a judge's gavel. God, would you come and smash the nations who are putting us under threat? Would you come and bring justice? That's what we're looking for. And then return us to a land of milk and honey. We want to be full of riches and wealth, and we want to return to Solomon's time, more or less, when Israel was lifted up amongst the nations. What's on my agenda? What's on my heart? I want to see God right the world by having his kingdom be in place. Now, it's in that world that Jesus comes. And it's the world that Luke wrote the account of Jesus' life. So let's get back up to speed on Luke. We've had a series that's been running on the church. Did you enjoy that? I shouldn't ask that from the front. Uh, I enjoyed that. Matt, did you enjoy it? Great, brilliant. Well, the two of us enjoyed preaching it. We hope you enjoyed it. We're going back to Luke now. And we're going back to Luke from here all the way up to Easter. Okay. So we're going back to Luke, a series we started earlier on in the year. Imagine that Luke is a DVD. Okay. And uh, you've bought the box set uh, of uh, Luke. Uh, now I'm going to take you to the menu uh, of Luke uh, so we can see what the chapters are. And uh, if we're looking at the DVD of, uh, of Luke, uh, here's the way it's broken up. It starts with two chapters. Look down the bottom here. Here's the 24 chapters of, uh, of Luke's Gospel. It starts with introducing Jesus. First two chapters. Then we find some preparation for Jesus' ministry, which takes the next two chapters. Then from chapters 4 to 9.50, which is just before where we read this morning, we have what's called the Galilean ministry. It's Jesus doing stuff, all the things that Russell talked about, up the northern part of Israel. And he's really just getting into his ministry, doing miracles and healings and exorcisms, all that sort of stuff. We're now starting, in, as we pick this series up again, a new section, which is called the Jerusalem Journey, going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And that'll take all the way up to here, as you can see. We'll finish as we get close to Easter with Jesus slain and raised again, which is the last section of the book. So where are we today? We're just starting our second series, and we're here at this pivotal point in Luke's account of Jesus' life. So if you open your Bibles up, we're in Luke uh, chapter 9, and uh, we've got uh, verse 51 before us. Luke chapter 9 and uh, verse 51. And if you look with me, uh, we'll see uh, how Luke starts off this pivotal point for the rest of the book. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is actually a really fascinating way to introduce the second part of the book. If you're a Christian, you know that the most important thing, at least this is the way we think about it, the most important thing of the Gospels is how Jesus dies. Where does he die? In Jerusalem. How does he die? On a cross. We all know that. But I want you to see the way Luke pictures the end of his Gospel. The time approach for him to be taken up to heaven. When does that happen? Does it happen before the cross? He has to go to Jerusalem, he has to die, he has to be buried, he has to be raised, 
and then he ascends into heaven. But Luke is setting us to look through the cross to Jesus' victory, which is ahead. It's really interesting. He's also saying that Jesus is choosing to go to Jerusalem where he will die. From this point on, in Luke's account of Jesus' life, he is heading to his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension into heaven. It's Jesus' choice, not a mistake, that he dies. So here he goes. Jesus is heading resolutely for Jerusalem. I need to give you a little bit of background. Uh, This is a map of Israel. And uh, we're about to meet some people who live in a place called Samaria. And uh, Samaria is this area uh, just here. A little bit of background about the Samarians, or the Samaritans. Uh, The Samaritans were people who basically everyone hated. I put it there a little bit maroon. It's not quite like Queensland. It's a little bit more... It's a little bit more angry than that. Uh, The Jews viewed the Samaritans as people who had bailed out on God. People who had neglected the faith that they had received from their ancestors. They viewed them as unclean, as not pure. And there was absolute animosity between the two of them. Now the reason that's important is because if you are ordinarily heading from Galilee, which is up the north here, to Jerusalem, which is down here, you would normally go around Samaria. Even though it was longer and you were walking predominantly, you'd go around it because we don't want to mix with those filthy Samaritans. Now, interestingly enough, it says here that Jesus is actually making a path like this. He's going through Samaria. Now, you're going, why did I need to learn geography about this part of the Bible? Why did I need to? I'll tell you why. Have a look at the next verse for us, uh, which is verse 52. It makes sense of something that otherwise doesn't make sense. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans had an alternative centre of worship. They didn't worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So if you're a Jew going to Jerusalem, basically you're going, you're thumbing your nose at the Samaritans. Make sense? So now we see why it was that they didn't receive Jesus. Now, Jesus has some fellas who are walking with him, and it may be that they were having a bit of a testosterone day, I'm not really sure, but have a listen to what they said when they saw their master wasn't made welcome in these towns. Have a a listen, I'm sure you caught it on the reading. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Now this is what I think they had in mind. This is a 1957 hydrogen bomb test, and uh, I think this is pretty much what they had in mind. God, could you please do a rerun of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember, fire from heaven came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Could you... Are we okay to call up the airstrike? Now, at that point, maybe Jesus was very upset that he wasn't being well received by the Samaritans. But, But have a listen to how Jesus responds. 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then the disciples went to another village. I love that. Let's try somewhere else, okay? (laughs) This isn't working out very well. But the point is, Jesus rebuked them. It wasn't the right thing to do to obliterate the people who weren't receiving Jesus. And I want to just make the point here, a very simple point. Don't rush to declare Jesus' verdict before he has. I think this can be our temptation. We look at the world around us and we decide, wow, that is so offensive. God, I'm ready to press the smite button. Will you let me Yeah, get rid of these terrible people and wipe them out? And I think the challenge is we're not. That's not our spot. That's not our job. It's not our responsibility. And in fact, wonderfully, we see later on in the second part of Luke's account of what happened in the book of Acts, we see that God actually in his mercy led Samaritans to believe in Jesus. Now, if their city had been wiped out by the hydrogen bomb, they wouldn't have had a chance, would they? So it's God's mercy. And all I'd say to us this morning is, let's not rush to declare Jesus' verdict before he has. Don't judge people and write them off. It's God's job, not yours. The second thing uh, to observe here is just that second bit there. So they went to a village. You You must remember, this is a very hospitable culture generally. If somebody turned up, you were pretty much obligated to let them stay. So the fact that they'd rejected Jesus and said, you can't stay here, was a terrible offence. But Jesus' response is, just simply then, he and his disciples went to another village. When we're rejected, as we speak about Jesus, rather than calling in the airstrike, maybe you just move one cubicle in your office to the left. Yeah? Leave room for God's grace and move on. Rejection in this account of Jesus' life equals to move on to the next thing. Well, they did uh, They did keep walking. Have a look with me at verse 57. As they were walking along the road in this, I assume, Samaritan place, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. I, I'm going to speculate with you this morning that this happens in Samaria. Okay? The Bible doesn't tell me that. It doesn't tell me that for sure. But I think the setting is in Samaria. So a Samaritan man came up to Jesus. Now remember, in the the other village, how had that worked out? Had it gone well? Not well. And now Jesus is walking along. A Samaritan man walks up to him and says, Hey, I will follow you wherever you go. Does that sound like good news? Just so we're clear. I would love that. That would be fantastic. I'll follow you wherever you go. Excellent. Fall in behind. We're going to Jerusalem. Come and join us. I would say, brilliant, come on board. What we're going to see is three interactions this morning with Jesus and people who would be followers. And it's going to be very challenging for us to see how Jesus dealt with them. I think this is what the guy looks like when he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Where do you think this guy's going? He's going to the beach. Very good. That's excellent. My picture has worked. Okay, I, I think, I think Jesus looks at a man who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, mate, the reality is, I don't think you have a clue where we're going. I don't think you have a clue where we're going. 
Have a look at what he says to him. Uh, Jesus replied, this is to the guy who says, I'm with you, I'm on board, I'll go wherever. Jesus says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, we talked about this during the week if you're in life groups. It's a funny thing to say, isn't it? It's almost a riddle. Foxes have dens. Okay, good, check. Birds have nests. Good, I believe they do. I'm down with that in theory. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, first of all, who's the Son of Man? It's a good Sunday school answer, so well done if you called out Jesus, yes. The answer is it's Jesus. If in doubt, Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. It's a way of speaking about himself. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I just want you to think for a second. Uh, When Jesus was born, did he have any proper place to lay his head? A manger, was that the proper place to lay his head? No, no, remember there was no room for him in the inn. Do you remember that? And then after he was born, could they go home again? Maybe this is stretching your Bible knowledge. Could they go home again after he was born? Why not? Because King Herod was looking to kill all the boys. So did Jesus have a place to lay his head at home? Anyway, I don't know that this is absolutely front and centre. All I wanted to show you is when he was born and when he was a kid, Jesus had no regular place to lay his home. He was a refugee. Jesus says to the man who says, I'll go wherever you go with the towel slung over his shoulder. I'm making that up. He says, mate, you have no idea where I'm going. In fact, I've just come into a town two kilometres back up the road and they wouldn't let me sleep there. If you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, you must be prepared for hardship. In essence, Jesus is saying, don't misunderstand. Coming with me wherever I go will not be a cakewalk. It won't be easy. Don't misunderstand. On top of that, I think this story teaches us that if you are following Jesus, it's quite possible that you'll become unwelcome. Now, some of you will have had that experience. Is that right? You'll have become unwelcome. Maybe your friendship group goes, we're not really comfortable having you around if you're going to... Or maybe your family says, look, we've done... It changes if you say, I'm on board with Jesus. I will go wherever you go. Things change. And what Jesus is saying is, make no mistake, if you choose to follow me, which is brilliant... Don't come thinking it'll be easy. It may very well make you homeless. He continues on. This time, the shoe's on the other foot. Have a a look with me. Uh, Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, look, first let me go and bury my father. So who initiates this one? Yeah, good, you're catching on. The answer is Jesus, isn't it? When I ask you a question, that's good. So Jesus says, you come follow me. It's not the guy saying, I will follow you. Jesus says, you come follow me. Well, the man says, uh, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Oh, there's lots to like about this guy, I think. He doesn't say what? He doesn't say no. He says, okay. But first, I just need to go and bury my father. Now, at this point, 
you can be thinking, I think with me, because Jesus says some pretty strong stuff to him next. You can be thinking, what is Jesus doing? I've done a bit of thinking about this through the week. I think when the man says, first let me go and bury my father, that this is the picture. Are you with me? My dad is really old and in them. First let me go and bury my father and then I'll come. I'm looking after my dad and his sick. Because here's the thing, I reckon if his dad was actually dead, right, first of all, he would be unclean. This is probably stretching our knowledge, but if you're with dead bodies, right, you're actually unclean in Jewish law. Okay? So would he have been wandering around on a road if he was unclean? Now my guess is he wouldn't be. Okay, so I'm putting bits together. This is speculation. Okay? I'm guessing his dad is old and invalid, and he's saying, first let me go and bury my dad. In other words, I need to wait until things at home are taken care of. Jesus is really strong in saying this to him. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. Really? Really? There are so many ways in which what Jesus just says is completely unreasonable. It's unreasonable socially. It's unreasonable ethically. It's unreasonable religiously. Do you know that even the priests in the temple were allowed to go and bury their... They weren't allowed to become unclean for anything else, but they were allowed to go and bury their parents. So when Jesus says, let the dead, let the spiritually dead bury the dead, you go and do something that's about life. I think everyone there would have just gone, that is totally unreasonable. Unless we think that's out of character for Jesus, do you remember when Jesus' own mum and his brothers and sisters came to see him, and someone said, uh, "Jesus, your mum and dad, uh, your mum and your, not dad, uh, your mum and uh, your, your brothers and sisters are standing outside," and he looked at the people around them. Do you remember what he said? "You are my brothers and sisters." He basically ignored his family, which would have been absolutely, completely offensive at that point. He said, "Those who are listening to my teaching, you are my brothers and sisters." Now, you'll need to hang with me, but I think we see a couple of things here. Firstly, I think following Jesus isn't to be put off until an easier time. Don't put following Jesus off until an easier time. Now, you might be thinking about the pressures and concerns that are in your life, and you might be thinking, I'll get round to following Jesus when I have all my ducks in a row. Is that a weird turn of phrase? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? My wife often says I say turns of phrase that don't mean anything. All your ducks in a row basically means when I get all my personal things sorted out, I'm then ready to come and follow you, Jesus. When I'm a presentable, normal human being, I'm happy to be. Then I will follow you. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's right now I need you to follow me. Uh, The second thing I want you to see is, I think, have a look what he says. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm really struck here that part of following equals proclaim. If you're to follow, you're also to speak. And you're to speak about the kingdom of God. Now that isn't the kingdom of God that the people were expecting at that time. It's Jesus' kingdom. Go and be people who speak of the life and hope that's found in Jesus. 
Well, it's like a good Irish joke. There's a third person who comes along. It's amazing, isn't it? There are three things. Uh, We're just as humans wired to like three things. So there's a third person in this account. Still another said, could you imagine that anyone would have the guts to say anything to Jesus after this? Now, I'm not sure that they all happened on the same day or that they were all on the same stretch of road. You know, three men were standing along. I want to follow you. Here's what I've got for you. You follow me. Here's what I've got for you. I want to... You know, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily what happened. But, but Luke's grouped the material here together and have a look with me and see what happens. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Far out. Does that sound all right? I'll pay attention, church. Does that sound reasonable? Thank you, or I'm not coming to your house because you're not very nice. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Just let me say goodbye to mum and dad. Okay. I think it's about saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, but where's the man looking? Oh, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now, but I need to go back before I can go forward. And Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, you're in this double-minded kind of state. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you say you're in, if you say you're in, then begin and don't look back. Then begin and don't look back. If I'm in, then begin and don't look back. And by the way, how does looking back work in the Bible? Does it work out well for people? Think about Lot's wife. If you don't know Lot's wife, uh, sacks a bottle uh, of salts. That's what you're looking at. Little, you put it on your fish and chips. That's what happened to her. She turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back when she'd been told not to. She'd been told to run and go. The people of Israel looked back after they came out of Egypt, didn't they? They said it'd be really good for us to go back home. And when they looked back, they turned to adultery. idolatry. They made the golden calf when they looked back to where they'd come from. If you're in, if you begin, go forward. Following Jesus equals focusing on what's ahead, not looking back. All right. I want to tell you a story. Uh, back in 19... I, I think I told you the other day, 1993, I came to Oran Park. And when I did that, I thought I had travelled to the ends of the earth, quite clearly. I, I was living on the North Shore at that point in time, in Hornsby, uh, there was no M7, and so I honestly thought I'd you know, dropped off the edge of the planet when I got to Oran Park. And I came to the raceway, and I did a uh, defensive driving course. Very good fun. I had a Nimbus. Does anyone know what a Nimbus is? It's a six-seater kind of, uh, seven-seater kind of van thing. Okay? And that was the thing. I was doing the skid pan. And, oh, it was awesome. So the wombat was, um, was going around. So one of the things that they got us to do was they said, uh, we want you to uh, make your way through these cones that are all laid laid out like this. And of course, I had a go at doing it, and here's where I focused. Right here. And as I did that, I systematically knocked all the cones down, trying to drive around them, looking at the cone. I was... After they stood them back up, they said, you know where you need to look? Anyone know where you need to look? You've got to look up there. 
And if you're looking there, you'll actually be able to make your way through the cones that are right in front of you. You're actually, your peripheral vision will actually take care of the cones. And I did it. I could do it. You lift your vision, not looking at the one right in front, looking ahead here. Jesus is saying, if you want to be on board with his team, you have to focus on the kingdom and you have to go forward. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Good sermon and all that. But we're not there. We aren't on a dusty roadside in Samaria, are we? Good, good answer. Jesus isn't standing here saying, I'm walking up to Narellan, fall in behind me. He's not doing that, is he? No, good. Okay, that, that, we're not there. And on top of that, we're here, aren't we? Isn't this what our lives look like? It's not like we're just wondering what to do for Sunday afternoon. Our lives look like this, full of stuff, full of concerns, full of worries. So what should we do? How do we apply what we've been learning? What, what should we do? Do we take our pile and drop Jesus on top of it? Brilliant. One more concern. You know, I thought my life was full of stuff, and now I've got to add Jesus in. And now I've got this appointment on Sunday morning that I have to keep. I lose my sleep in, and I'm at church. and It's more worry and hassle, isn't it? Thank you, Russell. Maybe the idea, maybe what Jesus is trying to say today, maybe you've heard me and what you're thinking to yourself is, ah, oh, oh, I've got it. Jesus only. Just make a little firewall around Jesus. Everything else is rubbish in my life. I should be disinterested in my family, disinterested in my old relatives. I should, I should quit my job. I, just get rid of all of it. It's only about Jesus. That doesn't sound right, does it? Well, maybe this is a better take on it. Okay, another take. Maybe what we do is we go, actually, Jesus, congratulations, you've made my top three. Yeah? I've got my priorities sorted out in my life. Now, there are these ones down here I don't really care too much about. Looking fit and fabulous, very important to me. Looking after my family, yep. And I'll fit you in, Jesus, as one of my top three priorities in life. That's pretty good. Yeah? You're up there, Jesus. Congratulations on making my top three. Does that sound right? It doesn't really account for the sort of language that Jesus has been using, does it? All right. What about this? What about this? Jesus, bigger, primary, before all other things in our lives. Not in place of all other things in our lives. In fact, let all other things in our lives make sense because of our priority to seek him first. Jesus first, Jesus primary, everything else only in relation to him. Seeking first his kingdom and not our own not to neglect the other important parts of our lives, but to let them find their right place after seeking him first. We have a, uh, a, a uh, wonderful little brochure, our New Life brochure. And in it we talk about how we give the message of New Life. We talk about connecting and caring and communicating and leading people to commit. And under commit, we have this question 
I want to put it to you today. What makes committing to Jesus for you easy or difficult? What makes committing to Jesus easy or difficult? Is it easy to say, Jesus, I will let everything else in my life find its right meaning by putting you first? I, I do want you to imagine for a second. Um, you know, Jesus is alive today. He's not dead. He's in heaven right now, but I want you to imagine, oh, Tim's just done it for me, thanks, Tim. I want you to imagine... Jesus himself walks into our church right now. It's not Tim, by the way. Position's taken. Jesus walks into our church and he looks at you. And he says, come, follow me. Standing right here, he says, come, follow me. Well, we've been people who say, uh, Jesus, I'm ready. And we have no idea how serious a commitment is. Well, we be the people who say, Jesus, I like what you're offering. Please let me get my life in order first. Will we be people who say, Jesus, I'm going to come. I've just got a couple of things I need to do. I think if Jesus is standing here, with all the worries of our life. It's actually the best offer you could possibly hear. Don't keep tripping over the things that are right in front of you, just the concerns of our lives. Instead, look up to Jesus' concerns and let your life find its right order after seeking Let's pray.